exegesis. And know me better, Dan. Welcome one and all to the Countdown to Exegesis Christmas special. It's Countdown to Xmas. And a very special episode for a number of reasons. Tell me them. Number one, it is coming out in the week before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why it's the Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Number two, we are in person for the very first time. Oh yes, forgot that. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we started the podcast during lockdown this year. Uh, so it was the original run was all on Zoom, and then we just never stopped doing it on Zoom. However, my laptop has died a death, and so we are having to improvise and do this in Ollie's kitchen. Very nice kitchen it is. Mm-hmm. Just imagine you're here surrounded by unused gadgets <laughs> and, uh, and booze. Mm. And an open copy of Eminent Hipsters by Donald Fagan, mm. just casually next to the uh, slow cooker. Research materials, mate. Mm. Research materials. Yeah. Talking of which, today we are talking about King of the World, as far as I know. Yes. Uh, this is obviously the last track on Countdown to Ecstasy and the last of the series. Um, King of the World was not a single. Um, it was on the Mild School jukebox promo with Pearl of the Quarter and Mild School. Um, but yeah, other than that, just an album track. And what an album track it is. Mm-hmm. It's awkward sitting over from each other, isn't it? It's really, really awkward, yeah. <laughs> because Ollie revealed to me that when we do these uh, recordings on uh, on Zoom, he makes my face really small in the corner of the screen. Well, I started doing that as a concession to you. Because you complained that I turned you off completely. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like I don't know where to look. Because looking at your face, Ollie is now rubbing his chest. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, this is um, disconcerting. But I'm sure we'll get used to it as the minutes pass. And the booze is imbibed. Yeah, yeah. And the exegesis doth flow. I mean, isn't it natural that we're just incapable of sitting face to face with each other comfortably when we're obviously such cunts yeah yeah well my uh i i just remembered that i planned an intro for this episode which i then mm. forgot but the intro that i planned was hello and welcome to countdown to exegesis a podcast in which two friends no in which two men ruin their friendship by making it all about stevie dan <laughs> <laughs> because it's basically replaced our little, we had a little fledgling friendship where we would mm-hmm. go for a pint now and then mm-hmm. and talk about, oh, we'd set the world to rights. Mm-hmm. And now, whenever Kate I Bush, see you... the band. Kate Bush, yeah. <laughs> Randy Newman. Yeah. Uh, CSNY, yeah. Uh, and then gradually over time, it's just been supplanted by talking about your favourite band. Like, if this was a friendship and not a semi-professional podcast venture... This would be a terrible friendship because it would basically be me coming around your house and you talking endlessly about your favourite band. <laughs> yeah, but I'm so forgiving. Like in terms of in terms of my conversations with people. Yeah. You know how much I love Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Like if I let my id rule, yeah. I would be like, Have you heard anyone I met, you know, check out yeah. people? I'd be like, Have you heard uh, Ricky Don't lose that number, by the way? Uh, mm-hmm. You seem of age. Uh, you know, I don't do that. So this is, for me, you are granting me a luxury of being, like, of just having free reign <laughs> yeah. to talk about one of my favourite subjects. But that's that's kind of like I'm a buffer between you and the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm allowing you to 
unhealthily obsess over Steely Dan and kind of protecting the rest of the world from your... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noble. Well, misguided. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the reason Ollie... But just you're allowed like, to challenge me. Listen, you do. Yeah. Like, annoyingly uh, large amount, you challenge me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know... Well, also, just, just to explain, the reason Ollie said that we're both cunts is because <laughs> we were just listening back to... We were doing a roundup of the slams and scams and we're listening to the relevant section of each episode. And I think we both just sort of fell headfirst into a pit of self-loathing. Yeah, yeah. Mostly that I'm incapable of constructing sentences, Mm -hmm. even after editing them to make sense, which I do, you know, vociferously. And also, for instance, how I just misused the word vociferously there. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, And just listening to myself drunk. Yeah. Particularly last week's episode. Mm, mm. Pearl of the Quarter. Yeah, yeah. So, um... You had more than a quarter, let's say. Yeah. More than a pearl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just hate listening to myself being really grudging with my praise. <laughs> just sort of like conceding, oh, conceding that there are good things about these songs, but refusing to sort of wholeheartedly well, say anything. I've pointed this out along the way. You know, the episode after Razor Boy, you were raving about Razor Boy. Listen mm. it into, listening to it in the bath, you <laughs> yeah. know, in this soapy wonderland. And <laughs> yeah, at the time you were like, it's a soft slam. And yeah. I'll tell you for why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, a, it's a harsh mirror. Yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to polish that mirror. Song facts. Uh, okay, not a lot to say uh, in terms of specific, like, juicy bits. Mm. Uh, I'll quickly run through covers. I'm not going to make you listen to covers, because when we do that, we inevitably cut it from the episode, because it's long and boring. But uh, Joe Jackson's cover uh, reduces it to the simple sort of piano number that I assume you want this song to be. Just to get, just to get an, <laughs> a, a baseless attack in there yeah, yeah. immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting quote, maybe about this. Uh, Becca uh, was thought was asked on an online chat mm. what uh, what they what Steely Dan thought of Joe Jackson's music. He said, "I have always enjoyed his work from the very first encounter, but as it turns out, Joe Jackson is so much taller than I thought he was that we have been forced to reappraise his work in the light of this new information." Results to be announced. Is Walter Becker a little man? <laughs> I think. I don't think these are particularly tall. It would explain his um, his, his sort of like Syndrome. hatred of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other covers. Hench does a slightly lopsided version. Etch. Uh, etch is a thing that seems to come from the same songwriting challenge group. Like it's like that's this other cover. The only reason I mention these is that the Etch version sounds like Ozzy Osbourne, like remarkably like Ozzy Osbourne and mm. vocals. So if you, if anyone wants to hear a version with Ozzy Osbourne and vocals, um, r- listen to the Etch version. Um, this, uh, which we've said also about way back in episode one, do you remember mm. the disco version of uh, "Do It Again" crossed with Michael Jackson's? Yes, we said that that was uh, that sounded like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, again. If you want to hear a dance song with Ozzy Osbourne, the Etch version, we'll link it. The most interesting cover is Pegleg, mm-hmm. which is a surf band. They do a twisted sort of surf instrumental mashup of this and a Mahavishnu Orchestra song called The Dance of the Maya. Mm-hmm. And it's called Dance of the King of the World of Maya. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely brilliant. 
Really? Yeah. Like, fucking brilliant. Okay. Like, all out of tune. Mm. All over the place. Bends that make no sense. All the things that I love. Yeah. You know. Just for a second there, when you were telling me about that cover version, I just very momentarily forgot that we were recording a podcast. Oh, that's, that's the way it should be. No, but in the sense I was like, why is Ollie... <laughs> Like, why am this I is sitting... a really unnatural conversation. Like, yeah, why exactly, why yeah. am I letting him talk about this? Yeah, like... Ollie's got his arms folded <laughs> and he's telling me a great length about a cover version of King of the World. Uh, uh, this is why we shouldn't do it in person. Yeah, it's weird. Um, do you want to hear about the film that inspired this song? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Walter Becker said, he explained the kind of the, the mise-en-scene of this. And the inspiration, he said, typical devastation, like what you do at the end of the world. We wrote it after watching Ray Milland in Panic in Year Zero. Okay. Have you seen it? I saw a trailer. Mm. Have you seen it? No. No, you seemed like you were like, oh, well, I know something about this film. <laughs> um, the film, I obviously haven't seen the film, but the synopsis is like something like family, lives in LA, leaves LA, mm. goes on a nice idyllic sort of fishing trip, and... LA is destroyed by a nuclear bomb while mm. they're away mm-hmm. and they have to kind of survive in this new world. Walter Becker cheers. <laughs> um, he, uh, well, it, but I watched the trailer and it's like, it's quite, so it's still like quite idyllic. You know, if you watch, you know, like the classic post-apocalyptic films of later years, like Mad Max. Mm. Not that I've seen Mad Max, but I'm, I know the Mad Max aesthetic is like driving these things across deserts, landscapes yeah. and, and, you know, or it's like... Um, or it's yeah. you know there's, there's many years in the future things where it's ruined monasteries and deserted tracks and things and it's, and it's like no this was just like they're knocking about in the American countryside <laughs> and despite everything being fine and seemingly no worry about fallout or anything like that and yeah. the, the trees are green and leafy and everything like that <laughs> because over yonder LA's been destroyed mm. everyone just decides to go feral and start like shooting each other it's, it's quite odd so not yeah, yeah. it's not much like the, the scenes that are described in this film really in this song really How about uh, Denny's uh, attempt to do the perfect mix of uh, King of the World? You're saying that as though I know what that I would, refers would, to. Would you like me to waste everyone's time by telling you about yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> So Roger Nichols, in an interview, Roger Nichols was the engineer. Right. Gary Katz's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Jeff Emmerich to his George Martin. Maybe. I don't know who that is. Um, he said... I think someone was asking him about, like, oh, you know, uh, Steely Dan... Uh, Steely Dan went on, people complained that it was, like, too perfect, mm. you know, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So what he said in response to that was, we, we achieved perfection and abandoned it on the second album all in one evening. I remember mixing King of the World, everyone else went home, Gary Katz fell asleep on the floor, and Denny Diaz and I stayed until seven in the morning, doing it in little sections, getting the balance between all the instruments perfect, then on to the next section, all of it perfect... Then we spliced the two master sections together. The next afternoon, we came to the studio Mm. and played it back. The song started, and then the fade came. We went, wait a minute, did we leave something out? What's going on here? And we played it back again, and we had to really concentrate to realise the song was going by. You could hear everything, but you couldn't hear anything, like sonic wallpaper. Really strange. We ended up using the mix we'd done ten hours before, which had more three-dimensionality to it. Okay. So, Roger Nichols was with the band... Mm. From start to finish, and mm. and onto the solo albums, mm. you know, 
So he realizes the importance of a, a, a sense of three, three dimensionality of reality mm. in in a mix. You're saying this to me and looking at me as though I, I realize that I'm uh, like preemptively accusing you. You're preemptively accusing me of not liking music that I haven't heard yet. But you know that you won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I strongly suspect that I won't. <laughs> But I like, you know, there's there's a lot of smooth music that I enjoy. Okay, let's go back to um, Nearly Dan. We mentioned Nearly Dan last episode, yeah, yeah. the gig that you hilariously went to on your own. <laughs> yeah. The tribute band. Did they play Kid Charlemagne? Do you remember that one? Uh, I don't know. Is that is there gas in the car? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did play that one, yeah. If we, if we had your number on the wall, what do we need to do? Have a Is there gas in the car? I do want to leave the room. Yes, there's gas in the car. Um, yeah, okay. Well, you don't. For me, that's the bridge. So, what if, you're if doing... you liked that song, that's the bridge to Asia. You know, that sort of the funky, uh, the funky royal scam down the, the, can, the can, pond, the funk can take you. Yeah. Tip, 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 tip. Over to <laughs> over the Asia Bridge and see. into dog heaven. <laughs> Right, right. But, okay, so just to untangle what you're doing right now, you are assuming that I'm not going to like Asia. Yeah, it's really, really weighing on my mind because we're yeah. getting closer and closer. Yeah, so I'm not. You, you, you assume that I'm not going to like Asia with good reason because you've heard it and you hated it more than anything in the world. <laughs> yeah, but a long time ago, and I do change my mind quite rapidly. Yeah, about I see, yeah I see. Um, so your way of your way of trying to sort of forestall my non my fictitious criticisms, which I haven't made yet, is to tell me that the engineer <laughs> on Asia was aware that sometimes you can get a mix wrong. No, because come on, you're reducing it there. He's, okay. he's aware that sometimes you can, you can over polish a mix. Right. So yeah, that yeah, stands yeah. in direct criticism. Direct. Okay, so fast forward to 2024. We're recording an episode on Black Cow, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which, by the way, you referred to as Brown Cow last episode, and I just went, I just didn't pick up on your mistake. So I just want to redeem myself to the Dan fans out there. You said black, you said Brown Cow, and I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. Brown, brown, Just started singing Black Cow like it wasn't no thing. You, yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, it was Black Cow. Let me correct you now, but sorry. You Black Cow. Yeah, Black Cow. So I'm listening to Black. We're talking about Black Cow in the future, mm. right? And and your assumed <laughs> version of the opinion that I will share then mm-hmm. will be met with the rejoinder that Roger Nickel knew that sometimes you can over perfect a mix, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh well, it's great. This is absolute banger. When you put it like that, I hope so. When you put it like that. I hope so. I'll only use it once. It'll be like a. It'll be like my get out of jail card. <laughs> it was like two words for you, Roger Nichols, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just, I'll just like evaporate, yeah, evaporate into smithereens, <laughs> and then reassemble as the avatar of Donald Fagan. <laughs> oh God, I don't know which would be more awkward. Vibe, noun, a vibraphone. My vibe, uh, just a good, clean family song about Armageddon. Nice. Now, the reason I say that, mm-hmm. which is that like, I'm genuinely like delighted and excited to 
not have to pick through anything which is when seen through a modern lens uncomfortable ah okay yeah yeah it's nice just to talk about a nice simple song <laughs> about the fiery death of humanity yeah. <laughs> and yeah. not have to argue about whether like steely dan think prostitutes are funny yeah 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 that has come up a lot hasn't it yeah so that's me um quite a personal one there uh intricately tied to this podcast and my feelings of inadequacy in defending Steely Dan against the modern world. <laughs> yeah, represented by and, me. And also yeah. not being sure whether I actually want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how about you? Uh, my vibe is um, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel funky. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was originally it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel snide. <laughs> But it's not actually a snide song, is it? Not really, no. no. no for no. once. Yeah, no, good. Uh, Dan's vibe for this one is, I think my face is on fire. That's some of the liner notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're running out of, running out of ideas <laughs> for these by the end. Because we, we started off with one, which were like, you know, yeah. the glory of the giant girlfriend and faces yeah, yeah, skunk's yeah. reflection in a mirror of enormous <laughs> proportions. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Uh, I liked those. Yeah. Now, now, and then last time, the last song was Ooh La La, and this yeah. one's I Think My Face Is On Fire. So maybe there was a deadline looming. Mm. It was like, get those notes done, guys. We gotta ship this piece of shit. The music! So the music, Andrew, mm. I, I would like to ask you one question. Okay. Did you expect this? No, not at all. In a good way? Well, I'm not asking you to give a sonic opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> but um did you uh well okay yeah i guess was it a pleasant surprise or it, it was a pleasant surprise yeah. yeah without revealing my verdict uh i was not expecting the theme from shaft <laughs> Is that to what, start playing that's after what you, of the quarter that's what you pulled from it most yeah it's got the shaft uh the shaft hi-hat and then the the quacky funk guitar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then it you know goes in its own into its own little world but Yes, it was definitely a surprise at this point in the album. What I'm interested in is, can you imagine a flow? I mean, have you have you? Li- I don't suppose you've listened to the album now that you've heard every song. I don't suppose you've listened to it in its entirety. No, I've listened. I've listened all the way up to Pearl of the Quarter. Yeah, and I was a little underwhelmed. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this one is definitely like I think it is a, you know, if I must say something positive, <laughs> it would be that. There have been many surprises on this album. Yeah, yeah. And and that is, you know, valid. So just to give you, like, just to wind back to Bodhisattva. Yeah. Uh, when I was describing Countdown to Ecstasy. This is what I meant when I said that Steely Dan tackled proto-synth pop yeah. on this album. Do you get that? You yeah, I that do. Yeah, being, yeah, yeah. But, well, so again, if I must be kind, <laughs> this song sounds very fresh. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I like it, but it, um, sonically, I feel like it sounds contemporary. Well, I, I mean, I'm not saying this isn't a comment on my partner's taste in music, mm. but this is the one Steely Dan song that she really likes. Mm-hmm. So I do think what I'm saying by that is I think it's got an appeal that sort of transcends the sound of Steely Dan. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, and yeah, I can imagine a, I can imagine a hip kind of Brooklyn band making this tune now. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that to me sounded like really fresh was the liquidy sounding electric guitar. Do you know the one I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a sort of not an arpeggio, but lots of notes. Lots of notes, like a little um, shower of notes. Yeah, but with a bit of a trail on it, a bit of a reverb trail on it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning. That, that's a that's a that's a Diaz figure. I think I don't know if he wrote it, but. Mm. Yeah, I mean that is. I would put that in the same category as the uh, the lost wages loop in Showbiz Kids. Yeah, like it's this kind of ostinato figure. Yeah, that goes throughout the song, which is yeah, absolutely lovely. Um, generally, I I just think this like is a delicious smorgasbord of like various things. It's like being given a meal. Of everything you wouldn't expect together and enjoying it as a whole. So you mm-hmm. might get like, you know, I don't know, smoked cheese, mm-hmm. oysters. I'm on uh, board so far. Yeah. Um, s'mores. What, what's that? S'mores. <laughs> Is it American? Yeah, s'mores are yeah. like, um, in our parlance, it's like digestive biscuits with marshmallows in between, melted. Oh, again, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this just sounds like a party in the 90s, mm-hmm. a British party in the 90s. <laughs> Is there also cheese footballs and Twiglets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but okay. We need some, we need a real sort of a real uh, outsider, a, a ribeye um, steak in a black-eyed bean sauce. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, steak tartar. Mm. Um, on a bed of like. Well, what I'm getting at is it's stuff that doesn't go together. <laughs> yeah, necessarily. <laughs> no, no, I got the. <laughs> I got the purpose of the analogy, but. Uh, but fits together really well and I'll say it again as I said it about a few things on this album but it sounds like nothing else Yeah, and and part of the appeal for me of this song is that it really sounds like nothing else but at the same time it sounds exactly what Steely Dan would do if in 1973 some traveller from the future who may or may not be Gary Newman like explained to them but didn't play them the sound of synth pop Mm-hmm. You know, like Talking Heads. I, I was just about to say that. Yeah. The, the Overload. Is that the Overload. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they made a Joy Division song having only read descriptions of Joy Division and it ended up as a sort of Talking Heads Joy Division. Yeah. This is like if like Gary Newman had gone back in time and quickly described the sound of cars yeah. to Steely Dan and then Steely Dan had to do it through their own sort of musical lenses and pretensions. Mm-hmm. I think uh, whatever I think about this song, I agree with you that it's very, uh, to use one of your favourite words, singular. Mm -hmm. Do I say that a lot? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, uh, So another observation. I think there's some sort of sonic storytelling going on here in Mm -hmm. a number of ways, in a way that we don't often see from Steely Dan, because what I'm referring to with sonic storytelling is a little bit of like a genesis approach or something like that where it's like we're going to sing a bit we're just going to sing a little bit about elves and sing, <laughs> you know and then burst into the orc segment uh, well no but then when we sing about elves our voices are going to go really high-pitched yeah um and you know twink they're going to be twinkly bells in the background um yeah sort of a sort of supporting the narrative through sonic choices production yeah. choices uh this happens in this song which is quite unusually Dan, like uh, not usual for Dan, rather. Yeah. Like so, for instance, we have this like we have the lyric not to cross streams, but uh, you know we start with kind of like uh, don't you hear me calling this old ham radio? 
Yeah. And there's a vocal effect throughout, which is almost kind of like a radio. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just a bit of EQ or something, or it's, or it's some judicious double tracking or whatever it is, but it sounds a little bit like a kind of radio announcement yeah. throughout the song. This The kind of sound of this, in terms of like the chord structure and things like that, which uh, which is like unusually simple yeah. for Steely Dan. I, it sounds like to me Steely Dan like kind of trying to trying to be futuristic mm-hmm. and trying to be robotic. And that's supported by like the big synth melody that comes in. Um I guess the reason I'm saying this is that I think this is all quite sweet and it's Steely Dan indulging their like teenage love of science fiction. Mm-hmm. And just being like, let's make a sci-fi song mm-hmm. and let's pretend to be robots. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Donald. Like, like Donald. It's a, <laughs> It's just R- remove it, the last vestiges of emotion from your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, and but pretend well, you're an android. You know, again, uh, uh, pointing out the flaws of this podcast, it's difficult to describe to discuss this without also discussing the lyrical subject matter. Yeah, which I never let us do. But yeah, like I don't know. It this feels like them just kind of letting go and not thinking about like their relationships or their hatred of everything breathing yeah and just being like let's just let's just sing about those cool science fiction things yeah you know because my my prediction for this song which was unfounded was that it was going to be a sort of teenage fantasy about um you know like uh in the 30s you would get writers who wanted there to be a war to sweep away the detritus of modern life yeah. You know, you'd get like, oh, nuclear. Maybe, maybe we deserve a nuclear war. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be that kind of shit, and I was not looking forward to it. But you, there's not really any of that. Futurist kind of futurist manifesto, progress yeah. and death is what we. Yeah. I uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I mean, maybe there is a little element of that, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, sonically, sonically, I think this is really interesting, really funky, really driving, really fun to listen to, and also in my little bubble of the Steely Dan caricatures we've created through yeah. talking about them for two albums now, this is like them being little boys and playing and having playtime, and, yeah, yeah, and playing with vocal effects and <laughs> you know. It's all just lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'd love to imagine that they all just got together and had a few beers mm. and talked about Vonnegut and you know, <laughs> yeah. And Denny came up with this cool guitar line, yeah. and Skunk couldn't didn't really get on board, so he was relegated to funk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> background yeah. funk. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say what the so the synth bit, which I compared to Zappa, mm-hmm. you know what it really reminded me of? We're talking about that. Wee, wee, wee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That really reminded me of a band that you introduced me to, Caravan. Mm. It sounds really, really similar to a instrumental section from uh, what's that? What's the album? In the Land of Grey and Pink. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, there's a lot of like proggy nods in this. Mm. They 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 resist being. Probably accidentally, they resist being like indulgently prog yeah. and, and having little alien talking sections <laughs> in this, but that's only because of their kind of aesthetic and, and yeah, uh, yeah. 
their um, as Chris Butler said, like East Coast, sorry, West Coast production style of like yeah. dryness and tightness yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. But yeah, um, there's certainly a grandeur to this, which is very far from the sort of New Orleans uh, sex work sunshine of Pearl of the Quarter. Yeah, like like it, this is this is like a million miles away, and I, I just love it. Yeah. I think You're making good. me like it more. Oh, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, I, I, I'm saying this as if it's all tied up in my like in my developed opinion of Steely Dan as as, as sort of self-serving Steely Dan propaganda caricatures. But that isn't true. I've loved this from first hearing, and it hit me straight away. And just yeah. the way it builds and everything, it reminds me of all of my favorite bands like Stereo Lab. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, also uh, and. I mean to get really obscure like family fodder and oh I don't know fucking, family fodder yeah well the uh, the caravan bit mm-hmm. sounds a bit like your band <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why yeah sounds like something I could have created um, yeah uh, so yeah what else um, you mentioned the zapper so the zapper yeah crazy solo. By that, do, we, do you mean the guitar solo on top of the synth line or just the synth line uh, The itself? synth line itself and the harmony underneath it, to me, sounds quite Zappa-esque. But I feel like I need to listen to more Zappa to... No, I don't think uh, you're far off the ball. Yeah. I think when the solo comes in, which mm. prior to recording we determined may well be Denny, we're not sure. Yeah. But it sounds more like feathery jazz than sort of sweaty leather crotch. <laughs> Alice Skunk. Yeah. So, whoever, but whoever plays a solo, it's uh, interestingly like cacophonic. Is that a word? I don't know. What does cacophonic mean? As akin to a cacophony. A cacophony. Cacophony. Cacophonic. Yeah, maybe. It sounds. It all holds together, and it all builds in a similar way, but a very different way to Bodhisattva. It builds and builds, and ends with a solo, and it's. And it's this fairly daring pairing of like mel- <laughs> of like what you have had as a yeah. as a, as a kind of like key melody line throughout mm. with the synth line where 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 and then someone just riffing on it and putting melodies all over it and it and it and it kind of becomes this wonderful cacophony cacophony yeah um, how do you think how do you feel about the weird bit in the middle where there's some barely audible or inaudible if if we mean like incomprehensible. Mm. Someone's shouting through a loudspeaker, and it goes. It's like the umpire in Boston Rag again. Yeah, but so, yeah. but like not very. Do you know what it reminds me of? And this is maybe giving a bit of high praise. Mm. But you know where um, God only knows. Yeah. Suddenly changes gears and goes. Just as like a really cheeky way to get to another section. I love that. Yeah, isn't it lovely? It's better than Steely Dan. It is. Yeah. But it's better than everything <laughs> ever written by anyone. Yeah, it's, so. it's pretty solid. Oh, God. I mean, I'll, I'll get emotional just thinking about that song. Um, <laughs> uh, Ollie's wiping a single tear from his cheek. I'm, I'm, I'm close, don't. Uh, what's the... Um, <laughs> what do you think of the bit where it uh, goes... <laughs> the backwards tape echo... Do you know the bit where uh, I mean? Yeah. That bit. I like that, yeah. You yeah. like that? Well, it's ear-catching, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because that's like a that's like a nice crisp snap to a new section. But you, but this is the thing, right? So I feel it's my role here is to, uh, you know, be a prick <laughs> and, <laughs> and pick holes in things. As in, when I was listening to it, so I'm I'm as tends to happen. I'm warming to this as we talk about it. When I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, all these components of it are, are nice. And like that stood out, for, that jumped out at me as like an ear-catching moment. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking when I listened to it for the first time, is that good, or mm-hmm. is it just a, a little gimmick? Okay, you know. And that's something I, I have thought repeatedly over the past two albums. Is like that's cool, but is it more than cool? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, Becker and like, Fagan, what's it in service of? Becker and Fagan would agree with you that it's cool. No, he said they said in the liner notes. Did he? the engineer, not see, as we now did, that the backwards tape echo effect in King of the World was a bad idea, badly executed. Oh. So they said that about their own work. But I don't think it's a bad idea, badly executed. I just think, yeah, it just sounds like they're having fun. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily translate into it being... Maybe that's what they don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I liked that bit. It shouts of kind of... um, excited studio excess doesn't it yeah which is not something they would be into mm. in future they'd be into studio excess sure but not excited studio excess no more like carefully measured deletion of hours of carefully played takes by yeah, wonderful yeah. musicians mm. Damn! Damn! San Francisco show and tell. Here we go. So um, we haven't mentioned Christmas once since since the intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is our Christmas special. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Um, I can smell a roasting turkey in the kitchen. We've slathered ourselves with cranberry sauce. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a little gassy. Yeah. We've um, <laughs> we've we've been off mic. We've been sharing cracker jokes. Uh, we're we're feeling very very uh, yule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I was uh, thinking about what for me is a touchstone of the Christmas period, which is Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Mm. Um, for those who don't know, Ollie, do you want to give a, a quick uh, <laughs> summary of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? So there's a bloke who is kind of Scroogey. Yeah, and his name is. Scroogey, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck, right? Yeah, I thought, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he is a bastard, yeah, and a money hoarding bastard at yeah. that. And he treats his employees like dirt. Mm-hmm. And then loads of ghosts come up and mm-hmm. be like, "You've been a brick." Yeah. Here's why. Then here's why in future, and here's why now. Not in that order, but yeah. And he goes, yeah, actually, this has given me the perspective I need to realise that I'm a massive prick, mm-hmm. and thus my personality will change overnight, and I'll shower people with joy. And turkeys. And turkeys. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I was entertaining myself, imagining Ebenezer Scrooge as Donald Fagan. Okay. Because I know you like Donald Fagan. I mean, I, w- I didn't want to like bring this up, but... Is Charles Dickens okay? Like in the in the sort of anti-Semitism stakes, is he all right? 
not sure. Because I didn't but know... Fagin from Oliver Twist, I think is an anti-Semitic stereotype. I didn't know if Scrooge was a Scrooge well. is not No, Scrooge is not Jewish. Okay. okay. Or at least it's not, yeah. Okay. It's not, I, I'm fairly sure, I mean, I'm now doubting myself. Well, go ahead anyway. We'll check, sure. we'll check it in post. <laughs> we'll see if I'm cancellable. I, I'm fairly sure that Scrooge is not a caricature of a Jewish okay. userer. But who knows? Um, I was enjoying imagining Fagan in a in a, mm-hmm. a Victorian dressing okay. gown with one of those little hats mm-hmm. and a little candle and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know the guy's a prick. So I was imagining him being visited by the ghost of Dan Past, Dan Present, and Dan Future. Oh, okay. And then deciding that he needs to mend his ways. Okay. Okay, right. so that's, this isn't... Yeah, okay, great. Especially since you have no insight into Dan Future. So yeah. So I'd be most interested to hear that. <laughs> well, well, what I've, uh, what I've done is I've taken Charles Dickens's Deathless Prose mm-hmm. and I've changed the names. Oh, okay, well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that will fit any situation. So this is basically the end of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, but Spoiler. about Donald Fagan. Spoiler for anyone reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was early at the studio next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Skunk Baxter coming late. That was the thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No skunk. A quarter past. No skunk. He was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Fagan sat with his door (laughs) wide open that he might see him come into the control room. In the original, it's the office. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it was not the control room. His hat was off before he opened the door. This is... Skunk. Skunk. Yeah. His comforter too, which I assume is some kind of scarf. Yeah, yeah. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, or plectrum, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello, growled Fagin in his accustomed voice, as near as he could feign it, because he's now a great bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I, I am very sorry, sir. Said Skunk, I am behind my time. <laughs> you are? repeated Fagin. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir, pleaded Skunk. It shall not be repeated. I was uh, making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend, said Fagin. Mm-hmm. I am not going to stand. <laughs> I feel I should have practiced my uh, my Fagan voice before reading this. Mm-hmm. No, carry on. It's, this is this is golden. Now I'll tell you what, my friend," <laughs> said Fagan. "I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer, and therefore," he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Skunk such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered back. And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Skunk trembled and got a little nearer to the ruler. He had a momentary idea of knocking Fagin down with it, holding him and calling to the people in the court for help and a straight waistcoat. A Merry Christmas, skunk, said Fagin, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken, as he clapped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, skunk, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavour to assist your struggling family. And we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop skunk. 
Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another I, Jeff Skunk Baxter. <laughs> Fagin was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Gary Katz, who did not die, he was, <laughs> he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, <laughs> and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset, and knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. That's the end. There is another paragraph, but it doesn't add very much. Well, I did think that uh, the last kind of 20 seconds was a little bit of Victorian bullshit. It's not good writing, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised, like, reading it back, I don't think Charles Dickens was much cop. Well, uh, well, um, he, he, wrote, he writes in a florid yet accessible way. <laughs> yet twinkly way. Yeah. I, I that that was wonderful. And thank you. Thank if you. I can have one criticism, mm-hmm. I can't imagine Skunk taking that shit. I think I think Denny would have been the 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 sort of simpering loser. Can I tell you why I chose Skunk? Yeah, because the character that is being replaced in a Christmas Carol is Bob Cratchit. Mm-hmm. Skunk Baxter has the same syllabic oh, okay. form. You as... wanted to pervert, preserve the poetry. In the same way that the reason it was Gary Katz who did not die, <laughs> he had tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. But the reason it was Gary Katz who did not die is because in the original it's Tiny Tim, mm-hmm. Tiny Tim Gary, Gary Katz. Katz. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah no, I, I'm trying to think how else sort of work with no, no one else. No, Jim Hodder. I did think about it. Yeah. Well, no, well, that was great. That was lovely. I mean, if I can level one more criticism, and I don't want to be overcritical here because you've worked hard on that changing things yeah but uh, your Donald Fagan voice was it had shades of Yoda mm-hmm. and one final thing to say before we move on to the lyrics mm-hmm. is I feel we should wrap up a narrative arc that began in the first half of this season and then was never mentioned again oh yeah okay which is you will remember Ollie, and our most eagle-eared <laughs> listeners will remember that I was essentially being pursued by a terrifying posh stalker. Mm-hmm. You haven't meant, yeah. You haven't mentioned this since. Yeah. I mean, I haven't. I haven't wanted to mention it to you because I, you know, yeah. I didn't know if you were dealing with this as a silent kind of terror. It was a daily struggle. Yeah. Okay. Both the the fear that the uh, sort of posh stalker would strike again, mm. but also I was consult. You know, I rang the Citizens Advice Bureau. Uh, I looked into getting a lawyer, but you know what? With the Tories having decimated legal aid, mm-hmm. it wasn't really feasible for mm-hmm. me getting a lawyer to represent me in the event of a court case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a kind of daily, you know, waking up, dry mouth, pounding heart. Will the razor boy strike today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Will the razor boy strike today? Yeah, yeah. or at least his messenger, or his emissary, yeah, his yeah. evil emissary. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing else has happened, <laughs> and uh, my life has continued as as previously. So I can only imagine that the sheer willpower and spunk, the sheer spunk Baxter that I have shown in continuing to pod in the face yeah. of such threats, 
has has knocked him for six. He's not, it's knocked the shit out of him. Nicely done. And and he doesn't. He sees that I'm a worthy adversary. I can't be cowed. But I I um, mean uh, maybe maybe in you know maybe on hearing that this is going to sound slightly crass mm-hmm. because you know you've had a tough time. Yeah. But if people were to give a little this Christmas on Patreon. <laughs> Towards my legal fees. No, towards towards uh, towards this because it's not. This is no longer just a podcast, is it? It's a it's, it's a, a crime scene. Well, it's a it's a signal. Mm. It, it's your it's your bat signal in the sky to say to this yeah. strange <laughs> Teutonic suitor, this strange shadow <laughs> self <laughs> that that you are that we are not to be um, skunked with. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. You can take your homemade guitar. Not to put pressure on anyone, but, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, please subscribe to the Patreon. Every little helps. Um, it's been a, a waking nightmare for me. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics! I've talked throughout this episode of uh, Fagan and Becker being into sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And this being a kind of expression of their love of sci-fi. I thought you might appreciate a quote from... Fagan, or, or, or in fact, it's a it's a quote from an article by Dylan Jones, chief cunt at GQ magazine, um, right. in his interview with with Fagan. Why is he chief cunt? Because he's just a prick. We've talked about this before, have we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you please do this quote in your best on Fagan voice? Because you haven't done your Fagan voice for a while, and I really like it. I can't remember what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's like very okay. jowly. Well, I'll have to do because this is a quote from an article, so I have to do like a kind of Dylan Jones going into Donald Fagan voice. Okay, from cunt to cunt. Yeah. As a boy, Fagan was deeply into sci-fi and was even a member of the science fiction book club. That was a golden age of science fiction. <laughs> All the great writers were active then. I loved uh, C.M. Cornbluff. <laughs> Avon Vogt. CM Cornbluff? Mm hmm. I like the guys who were really social satirists. A, a, a lot of these guys came out of the socialist movement of the 30s and they had a very funny way of criticizing society. God. I really l- learned a lot from them, certainly from Albert Bester. He was a New Yorker. His first novel, The Demolished Man, Got the rapid flow of life in the city, which I think is still present. There's something about the flow of Alfred Bester's prose that I think affected the way Waller and I write lyrics. Mm. And uh, he is also directly credited in another interview uh, his love for sci-fi, or Becker's, Becker and Fagan's love for sci-fi, mm. as providing the sardonic edge to their lyric writing. Oh. So, you know, these are two sci-fi pulps, you know, 1950s pulp sci-fi geeks Mm -hmm. sitting around a piano and trying to recreate that kind of, like, sardonic Mm -hmm. look at the world in in their own lyrics and kind of trying to make each other laugh in the same way that they would in their bedrooms reading these cheap sci-fi novels and, you know. Um, So, yeah, um, uh, I mean, just to reiterate, I think this is two boys who grew up on sci-fi letting their world of sci-fi fun be expressed through song. It's not the last time it will happen. It's going to happen again in Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the only apocalypse one, I think. But yeah, 
uh, it's a bit of it's a bit of Cold War fear. It's a bit of pulp sci-fi. It's a bit of kind of role play as uh, last man standing heroic figure. Yeah, I think. So, do you think that this lyric is a continuation of sorts of Fire in the Hole? Here's my thinking. Mm-hmm. Fire in the Hole was the only song on Can't Buy a Thrill which seemed to be addressing political issues, mm-hmm. specifically the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was thinking today, like, sorry, so the link I'm making is they're both songs about contemporary politics mm-hmm. or, you know, a global political situation. But Fire in the Hole, if it wasn't so harmonically weird, mm-hmm. could be like a 60s open mic song. Mm-hmm. You can imagine, like... Lyrically. Barry Maguire yeah. or somebody yeah, 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 yeah. singing Fire in the Hole at an open mic and everybody getting all misty-eyed because, mm-hmm. you know, it's about, like, standing up against the government. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Barry Maguire is or what he sounds like. but uh, I, I'm not even sure Barry Maguire is a person. Okay. Uh, the guy who did Eve of Destruction. <laughs> 60s Cold War sing-along. Y- yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or, like, Hard Rain or something. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, it feels like the, the difference is that they have stripped away the relatable singer-songwriter mm-hmm. I, lyric mm-hmm. I. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, now it's more like the narrator of a sci-fi novel. Yeah, this is yeah. what I was going to say, is that I don't I don't see the connection to Fire in a Hole because Fire in a Hole is about as like real as Steely Dan have got in terms of... Except for like discussing the int- intricacies of their own lives or of like personal mm. relationships... Like, this seems fairly removed from reality because, you know, because most of us have not felt the aftermath of a nuclear event. So um, I guess to me it still sits within the annals of science fiction. Although, you know, it's an un- there's an unavoidable connection to, yeah. the, to the, the state of politics in the world at the time. But, yeah, they're both grappling with the dread of something that's really happening in the world, and they will have, they will sure. have seen they will have seen footage of but uh, in a hole Hiroshima is, and Nagasaki. Yeah, but Fire in a Hole is uh, is very much like you know people of Fagan Becker's age were like avoiding drafts around that time. Yeah, whereas this is more, I guess, because it's like I knowing that they're brought up on sci-fi and 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 quite possibly like post-apocalyptic literature that came out of this Cold War thing. The same way that when the War on Terror happened, we got loads of media about, you know, strangely familiar Muslim terrorist cells. Like, um, that, to me, this just seems, this more seems like a a sort of fictional indulgence than Mm. the very relatable But that's not what Becker's saying in that interview that you quoted. He's saying it's a tale of terror and... You know, it sounds like yeah. He's, he's yeah. saying it scares it. It's, well, yeah. that was actually, it was from a live performance. He introduced a song, but he said, "Yeah, it's a it's a terrifies him half to death." Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I guess I guess I I guess just in the I guess if if I felt that that's like that's what they were going for, there'd be hints in the lyrics that that like nodded to current politics or something. And yeah. I don't think there is. I think this is more like a kind of like I'm going to live this antihero. Who is like living this mm. post nuclear wasteland mm-hmm. um, for better or worse? Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't seem to. It doesn't seem to deliver anything in terms of political commentary beyond. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Beyond this is a situation 
in great detail, <coughs> but this is a situation that we're all a bit scared of. You know, if, yeah, if they yeah. wanted it to function as political comment, surely mm. they would have put something in there which nods to that. Yeah. Beyond so, just talking about a scary thing. Yeah. So I, I uh, sent you Wooden Ships by Crosby, Stills and Nash. Because mm-hmm. that's another post-apocalyptic song. Mm-hmm. But there's a line in that where he sings something like, can you tell me which side won? Yeah, yeah, which yeah. seems like a direct political comment. Yeah, as in, as in it doesn't matter. Yeah, like you, yeah, you, this, you, like you, uh, congratulations, you've succeeded in reducing the world to ash. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you haven't won because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that seems yeah, that seems like it's meant to stir you as a listener to think about the absurdity of it as a political battle. And Whereas you don't get that from this song. There's bit. I mean, there's bits of it, but it tends, but it seems to be more framed as a kind of like. Uh, the pointlessness, the personal pointlessness of existence in a kind of post-apocalyptic happening, right? Mm. Because you get things like... There's no need to hide. Taking things the easy way. If I stay inside, I might live till Saturday. That kind of... It speaks to this kind of idea of futility. Yeah. You know, no matter what he does, like, he's fucked. Mm. But he's never relating that to a government or a... Yeah, political yeah. action. He's just kind of going, well, I um, Fallout is shit in it, and I'm going to die. So this thing, nuclear war is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, but because it's like because it's so focused on the individual and this kind of radio call, I I really don't uh, I really don't think they were aiming for any commentary here. I I really think this is like an indulgence in you know their their child their teenage love of Canticle for Leibovitz or whatever. Um, so, uh, so what is the why are they specifying the Rio, what is the Rio Grande? Where is the Rio Grande? Okay, so Rio Grande and so this might be relevant. Rio Grande and the other place Santa they Fe. mentioned, Santa Fe. They're both in New Mexico. This may be a political comment because New Mexico <laughs> was the place where the first ever nuclear bomb test was conducted. Mm-hmm. So this could be like. Um, I mean, it'd be quite ham-fisted, but it's kind of going, we're setting this in New Mexico. Mm. Ham-radio-fisted. Ham-radio-fisted. I mean, that's some niche uh, delectables right there. But um, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I think it's deliberate that they're setting it in New Mexico. But I guess there could be a slight political commentary in that they're saying, any man left on the Rio Grande is the king of the world, as far as I know. Mm. So they're saying after the bomb has fallen, mm-hmm. there are no kings anymore. As in this, this uh, conflict has been brought about by modern day kings. Yeah, and has and has and has destroyed all. And hierarchy. has destroyed the hierarchy that it was seeking yeah. to protect. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a, uh, yeah. That's Which a good seems point. based, you know, based on my uh, big cartoon drawings of Becker and Fagin. That mm-hmm. seems like something they would like. You know the irony of like, yeah, 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 yeah. This arms race exists to bolster political power, I, but actually, it will just destroy the political power it's seeking to bolster. Yeah. You know? I, I guess, I guess, I'm thinking of it as I guess I'm still I've still got it fixed in my head that they're living the heroes of the science fiction stories, yeah. and and yeah, for yeah. them, seeing like a lone traveler as the king of the world is more a kind of a cowboy fantasy. Mm. That they're indulging rather than it is as a, a comment on like the, yeah. the removal of of all kings and all point of being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's 
looking at it through my lens, which is mm-hmm. like whether whether I'm hoping for this or not, I don't know. But I'm I'm removed. I'm I'm sort of I've removed it from uh, any obligation of political commentary. Yeah. So so through through that looking glass, I saw it as uh, the central ambiguity here is like: is the person is the uh, protagonist of this song looking for a companion genuinely? in this world where like companions are few and far between or is he looking for like a suicide buddy uh let me tell you why okay for like for, so lines uh like all i got to say i'm alive and feeling fine if you come my way you can share my poison wine is that kind of saying everything's kind of radioactive like the poison mm. wine but fuck it let's party anyway mm-hmm. nothing matters or is it saying i'm calling out here we're alive, great. We're gonna die. Like at least let's let us die together. Mm-hmm. Is someone out there to like hold my hand while yeah, I yeah. slip away? Because whether we kill ourselves or we just allow ourselves to, you know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's not so cuddly and cozy anymore. Now I've got into that. Yeah, um, it's it's like uh, Hobson's choice. <laughs> yeah, but also um, the the line I mentioned before, there's you know there, there's no need to hide something something. If I stay inside, I might live till Saturday. That has an air of kind of like either uh, you could either read it as like we're going to die anyway, so fuck it, let's enjoy ourselves, mm. or we're going to die anyway, so fuck it, let's kill ourselves. <laughs> yeah, do you, know, do you know what I mean? Well, you can, I, so I think you can what, see it as yeah. either two of two extremes. Yeah, and I think what you're saying circles around like who you is in the song, mm-hmm. because in the second verse you got I don't want your bread, I don't need your helping hand, mm-hmm. which seems to be like. He's saying, I'm self-reliant, I'm going to be a Ray Mears figure in this uh, Mad Max mm-hmm. world. But then it's... Show me where you are, you and I will spend this day driving in my car through the ruins of Santa Fe. So it's like, at once he's saying, uh, yeah, fuck off, and please come and get in my car and share my poison wine. Well, it's not exactly saying fuck off, is he? Because those four lines taken together are... Uh... Are a kind of like uh, uh, I, I I'm saying I, you basically a, a trust building exercise. So it's like I don't I won't take your bread. I don't need a helping hand. I'm not trying to take anything from you. I can't be no savage. I can't be no highway man. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically like oh yeah oh yeah that's good yeah, yeah. it's kind of going like well just trust me you know I'm yeah. not in this I've got I've got my own stash in this little bunker of <laughs> of beans and spring water. So I'm not trying to take anything from yeah. you. I just want to go for a cruise. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I like that, yeah. What is a cobalt cigarette? What is cobalt? Cobalt's a mineral? Okay, well, let's do that first. So cobalt is, I think it's a byproduct of a, some sort of radioactive isotope or something. So they're being a bit clever and just going like... I think they're basically... Like poison wine, their cigarettes are contaminated okay they're what they're drinking and what they're smoking is is killing them as much as the air around them mm. i think that's the gist there um oh yeah it's maybe yeah it does have a vibe of like a suicide pact or just sort of like uh languishing in booze and fags until you die world, anyway. until you die yeah because like if you come around no more pain and no regrets watch the sun go brown smoking cobalt cigarettes yeah it's always teetering between like 
death party and death death pact. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Oh, it's um, pretty cool actually. Mm. Yeah, as ever, I'm enjoying the the song more because of your exegesis. <laughs> so you know, um, hats off, that, hats off, Piper. That said, uh, <laughs> we should mention the lyric, uh, which uh, is potentially the biggest clangor in the whole band catalogue. <laughs> which I'll mention again in case we cut it. Uh, I'm reading last year's papers, although I don't know why. Assassins, cons and rapers might as well die. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is just kind of inarguably bad. I, uh, like, the rhyme of papers and rapers. The, the rhyme of papers and rapers is the problem. So if it was, I'm reading last year's papers. 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 <laughs> That, yeah, the Roman church is no more. <laughs> Although I don't know why. Assassins, cons, and rapists might as well die. Yeah. Is that better? Uh, well... Or is it the might as well die? Because to me that feels a little bit thrown they're both, off. They're both bad. That's it. Yeah. That's the problem. It's the rhyme of papers and rapers, which is like rapers is basically a made-up word. Although, well, rapists is what you say, isn't it? But, you know, at least, it, get, at least it gets its at least it gets its point across. Mm. But the I don't know why and might as well die, <laughs> that is straight from the Noel Gallagher playbook of lyric writing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not great. But what's the meaning? So I'm reading Lashley's papers, so I don't know why. I guess it's like, you know, there are these relics of the before times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's the point in reading them? Because we're all going to fucking die anyway. I've got to amuse myself somehow. Yeah. And then assassins, cons if, and if, rapers if might use, as well die. Every article previously published is basically irrelevant now. Yeah, like yeah. Everyone's dead. <coughs> assassins, cons and rapers might as well die. Is he saying, well, <laughs> there were some gains yeah. from this uh, yeah. nuclear winter. These people I'm reading about in the papers, at yeah. least they're dead. At least they're dead. And it's just yeah. me and Skunk and Demi. <laughs> And we're just hanging around drinking radioactive juice. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's the idea. I don't know. It's not very nice, though, to lump cons in with assassins and rapists. Well, you know. Because a lot of people are in jail unjustly. Well, but then in which case they're not cons, are they? They're just... But a con is just a convict, isn't it? Isn't a con somebody who's in oh, jail? Oh, I, yeah, no. I was oh, you thought it was like con artists. Con artists? I, I read that is. Oh, as, I thought yeah. it was like... Yeah, cons. Bad people, criminals, yeah, criminals. Yeah, criminals. Well, well yeah, it could yeah. be either, yeah. So now Donald Fagan hates the prison population. Interesting. Well, well the character is so... <laughs> yeah. I think it's, apart, from the, apart from that absolute clang, I think it's a pretty cool lyric. Mm-hmm. One day, these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. So, being as this is a Christmas episode, we have obviously bought each other gifts. Naturally. Naturally. Um, and we thought we'd share this moment with all of you loyal listeners. So, yeah, who wants to go first? Uh, shall I go first? You want to give or receive? <laughs> I want to I give. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, Ollie, I know you like Steely Dan. I do. Here is your gift. Oh, very nice. Uh, just for the listeners, I've just received a copy of the 33 and a third uh, pocket size book about Asia by Steely Dan, mm. uh, written by Don B. <laughs> Breithaupt. Don Breithaupt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Great. The Great. I'm. Yeah, wow. I will, I will absorb this um, mm. with all my might. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Can I read something from the blurb that made me quite cross? Yes, yeah, please, please do. <laughs> so this is the, the blurb. Asia was the album that made Steely Dan a commercial force, blah, blah, blah. Asia served up modified pre-war song forms, mixed meters and extended solos to a generation whose idea of pop daring was Paul letting Linda sing lead once in a while. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of snoot in that. So much snoot. Yeah. But also, as a comparison, it doesn't work. Well, because there was a universe of music. Oh, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this was the era of Bowie, for yeah, instance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. And I Did thought it could inform your research for series Definitely. Five. I will be quoting from it vociferously. Just right. Re- just to misuse that again. <laughs> <laughs> so this is exciting. So I've been handed a brown paper parcel that says to Andrew with Danitude mm-hmm. which is nice uh, it feels like a calendar maybe maybe it sends away oh it's can't buy a thrill on vinyl mm-hmm. oh that's really nice thank you that is my personal From... copy of Can't Buy a Thrill I seriously thought, I thought I had two but I must have given the other one away. Oh, wow. It's not because I forgot we were meant to be gifting each other and had to find something <laughs> to give you at the last minute. Hurriedly, yeah. Um, uh, it would have obviously been more... Uh, it would have made more sense to give you Countdown to Ecstasy. Mm. Uh, but uh, I've, I, I, I only have... I like that album more. Do you? Oh, you like Countdown to Ecstasy more? More than Can't Buy a Thrill. So it was less of a pain to part Less with. of a pain to give yeah, to you. Yeah. That's very kind. Thank you. Are you sure you're not going to regret this? No. Please take it with you. And, um, you know, uh, because let's be honest, Can't Buy Thrill is probably going to be where you most enjoy Steely Dan. So yeah. you just take that with you and um, yeah, 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 hang on to that as a memory. Okay. As, as, you, as you, like, cringe your way through <laughs> the later albums. Slam. Or. Scam. Ollie, slam or scam? Slam, beautiful piece of music, builds like a pig with bricks. It's a wonderful thing coming at the end of the album, sounding like nothing else in the album. It's a wonderful thing coming in 1973, sounding like nothing else in 73. So, slamo, jamo, put it on your blamo, and eat it for breakfast. Andrew Souter. Was that an, an order? Mm-hmm. No, that was a question, sorry. Okay, right. Uh, I, so I'm going to uh, take a slightly different tack from usual. Ooh. I'm going to be honest with Is you. Is that to skirt around? Oh, no, really? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with Ooh. you. I admire this, but I don't especially like it. So I feel that it would be remiss of me to call it a scam, because I think it is good, mm-hmm. but I don't really enjoy it. Mm. So I'm going to try and... I'm, I'm, I'm striving for objectivity... Which has not been my vibe for the past 400 hours of this podcast. I agree with what you say. I think it's a very distinctive piece of music. And even within the context of the album, not thinking about it in the context of 1970s music, just within the context of the album, I think it's pretty singular. Um, Do I like it? Not sure. Need to give it a few more goes. But basically, hats off Fagin, hats off Becker. Diaz, you played a blinder. Skunk, you did what you could despite being essentially shut out from the process. <laughs> Cats. We assume. Yeah, we assume. Cats, <laughs> it's sounding lovely. Um, so I'm going to give it a, a, another soft slam. Like, I think if you were trying to lure me into the world of Countdown to Ecstasy, yeah. you would play me this song. 
but that you'd would, be like this this album is is weird, be is weird you with and adventurous pretenses. sure but you'd be like these guys are adventurous yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know and Which, i can't and I, I don't want to gainsay the adventurousness because the adventurousness is strong in this one can you <laughs> <laughs> um but do i like it don't know I'd have to go away and sit in a solarium and put it on repeat. Which is always the best way to listen to Steve. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and maybe I'll, I'll do that for my birthday. <laughs> I can appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you for your honesty and your um, and, and your measured appraisal of this song. Um, <laughs> for a change. Can I just add that I think this is the best song on the album? Really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Let's yeah, just, yeah. Sorry, let me just redo that. Really? Yeah, I think this is uh, yeah because because it's maybe not the best song like as like if you reduce songwriting to man at piano plays to an open mic night. It's always a man for you, isn't it? Person at piano or guitar or bazooki or whatever else mm-hmm. at open mic night plays song. Does it work in its purest form? Mm-hmm. No, this is not the best song on the album on those terms. As a sonic adventure, mm. it is uh, it is the most interesting and bestest thing on this record. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, just to just to feed my own little ego bunny a little mm. bit. Do you, do you agree then with my assessment of this album, Circa Bodhisattva, where I was basically like, "This is Steely Dan," kind of like. It's an adventurous album in a different way to Can't Buy a Thrill because Can't Buy a Thrill is like, let's try and write in lots of different styles and lots of different people. Mm. Whereas Countdown to Ecstasy is like, let's try and write for this newfound band that, in a way that plays to the strengths of the band but yeah. still kind of shoots in different directions. Yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, I don't like this album. Mm. Just to be mm. straight shooting for a second. I'm not going to listen to this album. Mm. But I think that the thing that I've come to enjoy about it is the sense of, like, confident play. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like they are they, they have reached a, a height of confidence where they're just firing off. They're just jizzing in all directions. It's lovely, isn't it? It's a... Yeah, and that's, I, do, I do appreciate that. And hearing King of the World, Book last time on the album, it sounds... <laughs> hearing King of the World, it sounds nothing like the other songs... Whatever I think of the song, I still appreciate that level of uh, creative uh, sort of chutzpah. Because you say you don't like this album, but you haven't rated anything a scam. That can't be true. You haven't rated anything a scam. Well, shall we go over the? Uh, shall we go over the verdicts? Should we count the way it is? Um, <laughs> Bodhisattva, you said slam. How do I hate thee? <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> Uh, do you still think Bodhisattva was a slam? I don't know. I don't know. This is horrible. Well, you know, you have to, you have no, to I face don't. up to your... I don't. No? Is it a scam? Okay, just hit me quickfire. Okay. Uh, without telling you what you've done before. Yeah. Just, okay. just hit in the moment. We're ten hours into this recording. Your cat is skittering around like a fucking... Thanks for drawing attention to that. Yeah, we did, it, did, it did need explaining. Yeah. Um, Bodhisattva. Slam. Razor Boy. Slam. Boston Road. Slam. Gold Teeth. Mm, scam. Showbiz Kids. Slam. Old School. My Old. Soft Slam. Pearl of the Quarter. Scam. Kings of the World. Soft Slam. Okay. That's my in the moment, you know, it's like it's like we're doing a YouTube channel. 
where I'm just being played this stuff for the first time. There's no history between us. There's no, you know. So the only things that changed here were your gold teeth. Originally, you parked it. You you, you refused to make a decision. Yeah. Um. You've now called that a scam. Uh, yeah. Pearl of the quarter. You called a soft slam at the time. We're now calling it a scam. Yeah. However, Razor Boy, which you called a soft slam at the time, oh, absolute slam, is an absolute slam yeah. in your book. So, are you about to work out a percentage? Well, I just think you say you don't like this album, but I think on average, you like it more than Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah, than you claim to. Yeah, well, I just you know Can't Buy a Thrill was a you had a lot of soft slams. You had a, you had a few scams in there. This album is, according to your metrics, uh, well, I can't do math very well, but six out of eight, 75% slam. Yeah. Do you have any preconceptions about the next album? What is the next album? We've talked about it a bit. You've heard some bits from it. The next album is Pretzel Logic. Um, we have coming up next, however long we'll we'll need a bit of a break now, please between this and Pretzel and Logic. Maybe it'll be four weeks. Maybe it'll be eight. Maybe it'll be twelve. Yeah, I think I need to reconnect with who I really am. <laughs> um, as I've said before, Pretzel Logic is a reaction from Steely Dan to their record label saying, "Write shorter songs," mm-hmm. and it's them kind of like playing with the pop song format in their own little way. Okay. It's a little bit like, it feels like an album of Steely Dan miniatures, kind of, um, and and sort of, some of them feel kind of underdeveloped mm-hmm. in that way, uh, but it's potentially, for you, another way to see a lot of sides of Steely Dan, because although they're, although they're writing in a lot, of dis- a lot of different styles, a la Can't Buy a Thrill, they are still at the same time solidifying their sound. Their sound. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it's a it's a transition album. I would certainly say it's a transition album. Yeah. 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 Well, as ever, you have reeled me back in. I now want to listen to Pretzel Logic. Well, look, you can go and listen to Ricky now mm-hmm. with with no, his little no Horace Silver bassline. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like enjoy. Okay. I'll do my best um, with yeah. an open heart and a uh, open brain. I thought you, you know, I'll be honest here. I thought this would be the album that got you. Yeah, yeah. But because you, seem to, <laughs> such a wanker. Because, because you seem to hate fun. Yeah. Um, maybe perhaps the logic would be more your your street. I don't know. Okay, okay. Because it's joyless. It's no, it's not. Joyless. It's certainly it's certainly got less joy than Countdown to Ecstasy, though. Right, right. Which is kind of the most kind of attacky, but also the most joyful Steely Dan album. Mm-hmm. At least until we get to them as like middle-aged people mm-hmm. with the comeback albums and being kind of like joyful, joyfully cynical mm-hmm. in a middle-aged way. Que está cantando canções do passado, sem lágrimas 
Talvez será a última por muitos anos Por muito mais Arrisca ou dá qualquer coisa para ficar Na melhor metade Mas quantas risadas devo dar do começo Pela amizade Terá Engma cansado a cantar Quando garoto na valha Leva suas coisas, pois Estará cantando a enta naquele dia frio Louco receberá o que você merece Mas se sente bem Talvez sua mulher é zemcelas aguento Esse tipo de noite Talvez sua mulher é zemcelas ignoram As coisas que pedem Acha que o manhã não chegará quando deita Não puxe Terá ainda uma canção a cantar Quando o garoto na valha Leva suas coisas, pois Estará cantando ainda naquele dia frio Ouvi que está cantando canções do passado